Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keelior, and today we're joined by three people. It's a packed shot, but it's a packed show. Ryan Abraham, Gerard Martinez, and Shotgun Spratling in the studio. We have a, a full show for you guys today. Uh, with Gerard, you know, comes recruiting talk. We have a lot to talk about, especially because USC had their elite camp today, so a lot of prospects there. Uh, so a lot of offers went out today, and we, USC even got a commit, so we'll be talking about that. We'll also be talking about USC's freshmen. The fall entrants have officially arrived. They arrived on Tuesday along with Brew McCoy and Chris Steele. Uh, they also held their first player run practice Tuesday. Shotgun, you were there. We're going to talk about that and talk about your your observations, what you saw there. And of course, you guys can get a hold of us in multiple ways. You can call us at 5124-TUNNEL. Chris Savino is screening your calls. Uh, so say hi to him when you call in. You can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision, your question, and we'll put it on the air and also whichever platform you're watching us on periscope youtube or facebook live put your comments questions concerns and we will answer them uh but we're excited to have you guys watching excited to have a good show today guys what do you want to talk about first yeah well we want you to call in you got yes. gerard here so you want to talk the to him man. on the phone uh five one two four tunnel you got to do that we already put up a recruiting podcast for vip members of uscfootball.com if you're not get in there a dollar for your first month 30% off your first year. Make sure you subscribe to uscfootball.com. Lots of cool stuff going on on the site and, of course, around USC football. All of us were out there today at the USC Elite Camp and Chris Trevino, who's covering the phones. We're covering it all. We were rolling deep. Lots of great stuff rolling going deep. on. There is – it's just been positive lately. Like, I know things weren't that great <laughs> before. January, like everything's kind of going down. Things have been looking up, and the, the the attitude around campus today. We talked about this on the recruiting podcast. Gerard was, it was pretty positive everywhere. We seen Brew McCoy, Chris Steele there. It was like, I don't know. It just felt like it was more complete. Everyone was happy. Yeah, it was a homecoming. We talked a little bit about it on the podcast. A little bit of a mulligan, maybe for that 2019 yeah. recruiting class. And so it did. Golf like reference for you. I like that. This mulligan. Everybody know? was excited, and everybody was happy, and. Uh, the closer they get to fall camp and the closer they get to being able to correct the right from the wrong of 2018. Five and seven season. Obviously, USC wants to get out there and they want to be able to win some games. They have control over that. They can get on the field and they can play better than they did last year. And until that point, obviously, they've got to put up with all the negative recruiting and everything that goes on with uh, just sort of, you know, the, the offseason in recruiting. Uh, so they want to get closer to that season. They want to get closer to playing football games, but they do get uh, a couple of uh, a big additions to that 2019 class and Brew McCoy and Chris Steele. Both those guys were actually on campus, and Chris Steele hung out and was on the field and hanging out with uh, Tyler Vaughns uh, and uh, Hunter Eccles. Um, Greg Johnson was out there. It was a, a little cast of characters. Kyle Ford had come over, and I don't know if Kyle Ford had actually talked much with Chris Steele or seen Chris Steele since he'd actually been on campus, but you know they talked a little bit and were happy to see each other. It was one of those things that just was very familiar. I think all those guys had been out there in that spot. They'd been recruits before, and it was just a little bit of a homecoming, I think, uh, for Chris Steele and, and Brew McCoy today. Yeah. We're already five minutes in, Gerard, and people are already requesting that you say the word portal. Porthole. <laughs> It's, it's it's still your, a porthole. It's your signature now, Gerard. Yeah. Just, just own it. <laughs> Portal. It's funny. Our friends at uh, Reina Troy, I think they made T-shirts like USC's like transfer portal champions. 
uh, not porthole, but portal champions. Uh, yeah, I mean, only I get to say porthole. Yeah, I don't think they say that. <laughs> I, I say that purposely. Else, I don't think anyone mm. else says it, but you purposefully. We'll yeah. see about that. Uh, but Jordan, you already got into it. Let's talk about USC's elite camp today. That was today, Wednesday. Uh, we mentioned a lot of camps, uh, rising stars versus elite camp. What's the difference? What would what, what is the main factor of elite camp? Well, the the, the difference nowadays is that rising stars is two thousand kids. And it's a lot of kids just trying to get exposure from multiple schools because you have multiple coaches for multiple coaching staffs going there. And so it's, hey, I just want to get a look from any kind of Division One college. And you see a lot of kids that are really just trying to get offers, whether they be D1 offers. Sometimes they're, they're not even D1 offers. You have you know schools, UC Davis, and a lot of different schools there. So it's more of a, a big event for kids that are trying to get more exposure. The kids that are coming into the elite camp already have tons of exposure. They're going there to get coached up by USC. They're going there to get a preview of how it is to be at USC and go through a USC-run practice. And so they get that opportunity to get in front of the USC coaches, and the USC coaches get the opportunity to get in front of them and show them their coaching style, their approach. And I think it's a big deal because when you hear recruits talk about the schools that they want to go to and the biggest factor in the recruitment a lot of times other than what's the school going to get me to the nfl is my comfort level at the school and a lot of that comfort level has to go with the position coaches and their comfort in how they're being coached on the field and the rapport with them on the field so this being a practice a little different than a regular camp you get to see a lot more of that and also you have the rising stars is is a paid camp uh whereas the the is an uh, elite camp, camp is an invite camp. So a lot of kids may come to the Rising Stars trying to show their stuff to the coaches yeah. to get an invite. And we you see that. You see yeah. that e each year where you know kids will come to the Rising Stars and then you'll see them maybe, you know, later in the week at the at the invite only elite camp and then you know they're trying to prove their stuff against the guys that are already known. That's where you see a guy like you know, I, I saw Miller Moss last year. He was a guy that stood out with the way the ball spun off his hands, and now you're seeing him, you know, all his, all the offers that, that blew up for him. Yeah. And he's a guy guy that came to the Rising Stars camp, and I think he worked his way into an elite camp, camp invite last year, and you'll see him. He's you know one of the top 20, 21 uh, kids in the area this year. We saw that even with the passing tournament that they had over the weekend. You had a kid like Keyshawn Smith, 6'1", 165, 170-pound receiver from Lincoln High School in San Diego, had a really good tournament and looked really good. He got an invite to come back to this camp, and he played well. Again, we talked a little bit on the recruiting podcast that receiver position is one of the positions that USC has plenty of options. So it's going to be tougher for him to be able to get that scholarship offer. But that's a kid that went to, you know, the seven on seven tournament, which wasn't full of big time players, was able to use that to showcase his skills. And then he got an invite back to the league camp. So we'll see what USC does with him specifically going forward. Now, as you mentioned, you've done a recruiting podcast. You and I did, uh, Gerard. Instant analysis. We have a lot of stuff up on the site about this this camp, but uh, for the people who haven't read any of that or heard any of that yet, what was your general takeaway from today's elite camp, and, and who were your top performers? I think you know the one guy that stood out was the guy that we didn't really know much about going into the camp, and and certainly 
that's always a different impression that you get when you haven't seen a lot of a kid and you want to see more of them. And that was Caleb McCullough, the 6'2", 210-pound linebacker from Pacifica High School in Oxnard. Uh, he was a guy that he showed up at the opening regional. He was a good-looking kid, but there's a lot of linebackers there, and obviously we're all there to see the Justin Flo show. Here he was able to be kind of the guy and sort of the focal point. And again, with this type of elite camp, the difference between Rising Stars where you've got thousands of kids, you've got 60 kids here, you can watch uh, Caleb McCullough really work and, and really in space see how he played against the running backs and the tight ends, and he bullied the running backs. He played really good against the tight ends, really only lost in passing uh, period against some of those smaller running backs that took him like 40 yards downfield, which isn't really necessarily a reflection of what's going to happen in a real game. So that's a kid that's got length. He's got athleticism. He's got a great frame. He is an inside linebacker. He's rated as a three-star inside linebacker. I think he's probably going to get bumped up. I think he's a better player than that. But he's a guy that could really play probably three different positions on the defense at linebacker. He could play Will, he could play Mike, but he could also play Sam, and maybe even with a little bit of a growth spurt, he could maybe play off the edge more as a predator. He's a long kid. He's got a good wingspan. I liked him a lot. Obviously, Corey Foreman, the 2021 defensive end from Corona Centennial High School, that's a kid that's just a monster, Stud. just a franchise-type player. Uh, we talked a little bit about him. He's a he's a guy you see come a mile away. He's a guy that, you know, in registration you go, okay, if we're going to, you know, make a projection as to what our top 10 performers are going to be, Corey Foreman's probably going to be in the top three. Unless, you know, he, he comes up gimpy or something like that, he's probably going to be in the top three. And he, he was definitely arguably probably one of the top players uh, at the camp. And, and certainly from the, pro from the standpoint of, what kind of competition he went against. And this is obviously no fault of his own. He doesn't have any control over this. There wasn't a whole lot of offensive line competition that you could throw in front of him that was going to be able to give him a run for his money or really push him. And so it was pretty easy for him. And that, that sort of was what we expected um, on the offensive line. One guy that I, I liked and kind of stood out a little bit was joy, Wright, uh, The offensive tackle from Reno uh, and, and a kid that is a six, six can definitely put on more weight has a great frame, and, and I think he's a good-looking player and a guy that USC's, you know, it's interesting, and I don't know if this is just a departure because of the offense being a little different now, but they're definitely going harder after the more undersized offensive linemen. Now, some of that's by choice. Some of it may not be because you don't have a lot of big 300-pounders like you did in the last class that are sort of those franchise-type guys. Um, but, you know, I mean, another guy that got offered was Kyle Jurgens, who's uh, 240, 250 pounds, um, not a big kid, uh, but a guy that came in late. And uh, Keely, you actually watched him and give Keely a lot of preps, a lot of uh, props here, because she kind of eyeballed him coming over and was like, hey, there's some new kid over here, not really sure who he is, just FYI. And I, I think he came over from the defensive line. Yeah, it, it looked like he came late. I wasn't watching the defensive line, so I was solely filming the O-line. And he came late, a little sweaty, so I was like, okay, maybe this kid came late or came from a different position group. But then it really clicked when uh, when the D-line and O-line went up against each other. He kept flipping back and forth. Um, and he was substantial on both sides of the ball. Um, so I, I, it seemed like the coaches were investing in him on both sides of the ball. You know, he... he uh, they take him aside, give him more uh, pointers, and and give him more reps. You know, some of the guys, if if they correct them, they'd be like, "Okay, get to the back of the line." Yeah. And a guy like him, they'd be like, "Hey, okay, do it a couple times. Let's get you some more reps um, to to get more familiar." So it's interesting that he was on both sides of the ball. Yeah, yeah and we saw, and Chris Torino and I saw that 
we didn't know who he was, but we saw, you know, you kind of identify players by the clothing they're wearing or, you know, if they have a distinguishing haircut or something. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, he had some tartan shorts on. So we said, oh, there's tartans. We saw that, that Chad Kay was talking to him earlier, defensive line coach at USC. Uh, and, you know, you just kind of note those things and see who the coaches are spending a little bit more time with, exactly. like Keely said, and who they're talking to during stretching and, and things like that. So that was a guy that they also were talking to throughout the entire practice, even before he went over to the offensive line. We saw that, you know, he was getting some one-on-one time with, with Chad Kay as well. And it's one of those camps you can do that. You know, yeah. you only got 60 guys. You can take that guy aside. And you get them looks on both sides of the ball. So that's interesting. Again, 240 pounds. And we talked about Jack Yari a little bit in the podcast. And he wasn't at the camp, but we were talking a little bit about the projections and with the NFL combine and the NFL draft and how so many of those guys are smaller guys. And the average height and weight measurable-wise coming out of high school for those first-round draft picks was something like 6'5", 248 pounds coming out of high school. So you got a guy who's 6'5", 6'6", 241 pounds coming out of high school. Jack Yari, 6'7", 248 pounds, 250 pounds. And everybody talks about Jack Yari potentially being an offensive tackle. So, again, USC kind of going away a little bit from the 300-plus pounder offensive lineman. Again, some of that is is by choice. Maybe some of that is just because those are the guys that are in the class and they're available. Um, but we saw a little bit of that, an interesting offer that USC gives out today. And, and you notice with the offensive lineman that USC is being – that they're offering this class, this cycle, a lot of tall, long guys. Yep. So that's what you're looking for in that air raid offense. You want those roadblock guys on the edges that are just really difficult to get around that's going to give you that time to get quick passes off uh, rather than necessarily the guy with the best feet that's you know that's just a rock that's hard to get out of the way type of guy. You just want a guy that it, it's, it, it takes you a while to run around him. Yeah. Uh, so you know that's kind of the guys you're looking at. You're seeing you know the, the really tall, the skinny guys, but those are guys that they can build up a little bit. And, and that's why I think you're seeing some of the lighter guys as well. But you're seeing that they're coming in at 6'5", 6'6". Yeah. Those, are, those are a lot of the guys that, that you're seeing being, being thrown uh, scholarship offers this cycle. That's a thing that on the West Coast, if you can do that, if you can develop offensive line talent from those guys that are 250, you're going to be good because that's what you get mostly on the West Coast. Last year was a bit uh, of a rare year where you've got you know, a handful of guys that are 310 pounds, 315 pounds on the West Coast that are sort of those ready-made offensive linemen who you go, okay, this guy has the physicality to maybe come in right away and play offensive tackle as a sophomore or maybe even a freshman. Most of the time on the West Coast, you're going to get a lot of kids that are 250, 260. So if you can project and you can project right, build those kids within the program, redshirt them, and then develop them, That that's going to be consistent. You're going to be able to do that consistently. Yeah. If you're not a big – I'm sorry. If you're not a big recruit, Nick, obviously we have uh, Gerard Martinez here, so we're going to talk about your recruiting. But just in general, this was a the camp they had this morning. It was an elite camp, like Gerard said. Only 60 kids, uh, a lot of great talent there. And I think – the vibe with having a lot of the USC players involved, Amon Ross St. Brown and Michael Pittman out there catching passes or Jordan ISF out there working with the linebackers, all the coaches kind of running it like a practice. It definitely had a positive feel. You could have a camp like that and it could be a dud because uh, people don't want to show up and stuff. There weren't other coaches there, just USC, but a lot of really high level talent showed up there and having a Brew McCoy and a Chris Steele that just arrived on, you know, they're, they're officially Trojans now as of yesterday, arrived on campus last night. I think Brew moved into his dorm around 7.30 p.m. It just was a different feel on campus. It was an overall positive thing. So 
it's another one of those things. I think it's building momentum towards the start of the season. So if you don't like follow everyday recruiting and know all these players, just know in general, they had a elite camp today and it, it, it went really well. And I think it was something that you can showcase for Clay Helton going forward. He, he pulled this one off well today. So someone actually committed off of an offer uh, from today. We haven't talked about him, I don't think. Uh, Veltre Jefferson. Gerard, do you want to give us a rundown of, of what USC is getting in that wide receiver? Well, uh, Shotgun kind of alluded to it. You know, when we watch the camp and sometimes we don't know who kids are right away, you look for a distinguishing feature. He was he was gold do-rag. He, <laughs> he came in, he had a, a nice, bright gold do-rag, and we're going, that kid looks like a kid. We were thinking maybe he was a, a Narbon receiver that we know, and we're kind of trying to figure out who he is. He ends up being Veltre Jefferson from Edison High School in Fresno. Uh, Edison High School in Fresno has produced a lot of top players. 2021, big-bodied receiver. Now, we're going to see how he fills out going forward, but that's a kid that's got to be, you know, I think he's listed at 215. He looked a a solid 215, if not 220, 6'4", 6'5". Just a big athlete, flashed a lot of athleticism in his routes. Um, You know, again, I I don't know where he projects necessarily for USC, uh, but uh, just a guy that just looked like a guy. We saw him in line. We just saw him running around. He's a dude, yeah. Just kind of looked like a dude. Didn't know if he was 2020 or 2021. That's always a big deal, but he wasn't really on the radar for us necessarily and not a big-time guy uh, recruit-wise, but he's going to probably blow up after the scholarship offer, and now he's committed to USC. And Gerard always tells me, you know, we go to the seven-on-seven events and stuff, you never know who you're looking for. You yeah. know, sometimes, you know, we go to see specific athletes, but then you never know when there's a San Diego team or a team from the North Bay or, you know, there's a team from Nevada in. You may see somebody that's a 2021 or 2022, and there's certain things that you're looking for in the body type for them because it, it's, you know, it kind of, you know, the body types usually tell you who's going to be a, a true athlete or not. And this was one of those guys. You know, you saw him, and the question now becomes, is he a Receiver is he a tight end? He yeah. could grow into a tight end potentially. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if he continues to to get bigger, so uh, that's that's an interesting player there. He, he's a guy that stood out at the receiver spot. You know, another guy was Treshawn Holden, uh, who you know you were who talking we knew who, <laughs> who you were talking about uh, with Jurgens being a, a two way guy. We yeah. saw Treshawn Holden playing a little bit of, of both sides as well. Holder, excuse me. Uh, so you know, that's a guy that. You know, stood out because of his desire to get out there, too. Yeah, that was one of the highlights of the camp for me. Uh, it, one of those little things, those little nuances, watching players, and a guy like Treshawn Holden, who we've seen before Alabama commit, a guy that's gone from being a three-star to now a four-star. I think he was a little underrated. He's kind of gotten on the radar and certainly being out here on the West Coast and playing against West Coast competition. He's shown that he can be one of the top players nationally. But what was interesting is he kind of – he was fighting it a little bit today. Everything wasn't coming easy to him. He had some bad balls early on, and then he had some re, uh, defensive backs just do a really good job of being able to kind of get underneath him and everything. And so, you know, he was he was struggling a tad, not really all his fault. He was also going both ways, playing a little corner just for fun, I think. And he went out there, and he got kind of undercut a little bit on his route, ended up on the ground. And was down for a little bit. He, yeah. he looked they had like, to like help him off the field. Yeah, yeah. he kind of was clutching his hamstring or something, and he kind of got up, and then he went back down again. And you start to go, oh, "Wow, is this serious?" I mean, he's he's down. They can't run the offense anymore. We're waiting. We're waiting. He finally slowly gets to his feet, brought off the field, walks all the way around the field, and then two plays later, he's playing cornerback and he intercepts the ball. Yeah, and that and that to me that that's a big deal because Trayshawn Holden doesn't need to be out there. Committed to Alabama, a guy whose stock is going nowhere but up, 
he could very easily big time that camp just altogether. But not only is he out there, but he gets hurt, he gets banged up, and he decides, okay, I'm good. I'm going to go back out there again. He did nothing to prove. And so that tells me that's a guy who loves football, and that's a good football player. And that, I think, is a big deal when you're talking about guys that are highly ranked. You, they they got to love football. It can't just come easy to them all the time. High school, it, it's easy, and, and you can just do it. But in college, there's more sacrifice. There's a little more perseverance that has to be involved. And that's a guy that shows that he's got that. He wants to go out there, and he wants to play. So we actually have a live caller. Uh, yes. Big thanks to Jagger for waiting on the line so long. Uh, hello, Jagger. You are live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, um, first, I just want to say, Keely, I was also at the Hillsong concert last night. <laughs> So I just wanted to awesome. let you know about that. Cool. Um, and my question is, um, so with Chris Steele getting the spot um, for the scholarship, do we know who was left out of the 2019 class? Uh-oh. Is, is that a, is that a parastyle recruiting? The answer, the, we have to answer this question. Yes, we know. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not really making I have a, it. I have a backup question. <laughs> he has a backup question. Uh, we, we put some stuff in the war room. Uh, so if you're a uscfootball.com subscriber, uh, it's good. So it's nothing official yet, but we've. And that's we, not a fight on. <laughs> there's two. Yeah. He can't, I don't know two. if he's watching we, the show, but he put two fingers up. Yeah. Yeah. Jagger. So we'll see. What's your backup question, though, Jagger? Um, so with Kyle Ford and Brim McCoy coming, do you think that would open up the possibility of USC like making a flip? With like Treshawn Holden, like, do we think there's a possibility of him coming to SC, or do we think he's um, like a hard Alabama commit? He's not going anywhere. I think USC is definitely in it for him. He wouldn't be at the camp today if USC yeah. was not in the mix. Yeah, he's I definitely was- giving USC a long look. The question really is flip side: How much does Brew McCoy or Kyle Ford sway him to maybe keep his commitment to Alabama? Alabama's going to lose some receivers. Obviously, USC has some nice, young, big receivers there. The thing is, Bruce probably not going to be on the field as a true freshman. At least, we don't think he's going to be able to get a waiver or a hardship to be able to play after transferring from Texas. So he's a big name, and obviously, I think Treshawn Holden probably knows about Brew McCoy, but Brew McCoy is not going to be out there as a true freshman Lighting it up, being a guy that's, oh, I'm going to have to try to compete against that guy to be able to get playing time as a true freshman. Kyle Ford, maybe. You know, Kyle Ford's coming off the knee injury, obviously. But he could still be a redshirt guy, too. So they might both be freshmen at the same time that the Treshawn holds. Kyle Ford doesn't want to hear anything about redshirting, though. True. And and we've seen him today. I mean, he is just... He is ripped. He, yeah. He's, he's, he's a, a big dude. Yeah, and he's making one-handed catches and stuff. You yeah. know, as they're just tossing the ball around and stuff. I would not put it past him to be back. But with the four game, the ability to play freshman four games or you know to, to play anyone fresh yep. four games and still redshirt them, I'm not putting it out of the realm that he might still end up being a redshirt just because you don't want to rush him back. You you got some receivers there. Now we're getting Valus Jones back as well. Yeah. If somehow Brew McCoy, I, I don't think he gets rushed back, and so he might still end up being a redshirt. And then you got two guys that are five star guys that any incoming freshman, you know, is looking at. Those guys are now in my class. Yeah. You know, now you just kind of shift them back to the 2020 class because you know that they're going to play. You know, they're basically going to play a couple of years, and then you know, you potentially be gone to the NFL as yeah. well. Yeah. One of the side benefits of getting a Brew McCoy and a Chris Steele back is they've they've left the state. They were highly ranked players that left the state, tried it out, put you know, dipped their toe in the waters and came back. 
And they might, you know, be able to talk to someone like that. Like, hey, you could go to Alabama, but here's all the reasons why we think you should stay home. So that's an uh, ace in the sleeve recruiting wise if USC gets to that point where they've won ten or eleven games, certainly. That's yeah. that's a secret sort of weapon that they can bring out and say, Hey Brew, we need you to host a couple official visits here and these kids are looking at uh, Florida and Texas and Alabama and Georgia and Brew can tell him all about what it is <laughs> to go to one of those schools yeah. as can Chris Steele. So that's a big deal. I don't want to derail the conversation, but I'm actually interested. I have not heard anybody really talk much about Velas Jones and him coming back. That's a very interesting dynamic. I, I've always liked the way USC kind of used Velas Jones a little in the offensive backfield. I know he sees himself as a receiver, but with the way the running back position is at USC and the way the offense is, can they use him maybe more as a running back, an all-purpose back? Hmm. I mean, you have options with him. And yeah. the thing is going to be with him is he missed the spring. And right. so he didn't, yeah. you know, if you want to try to try out some of those things yeah. with trial stuff, that was the time to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, and he's he's going into what is Richard junior year, I believe. So, you know, maybe he has one more. I don't know that you really want to, you know, a veteran guy like that be like, hey, let's experiment with you. Now, if we see it the first couple weeks of the fall, that would kind of tell you because that would be Mike Jinks first opportunity to really work with him. Yeah. So I think because he misses the spring, it, it limits you on being able to do that with an older player like that. Yeah. I like that they wanted to, to use him in that kind of a capacity, but the, just the scheme-wise, the way they tried to use him, it just never worked. He averaged like a yard a carry or something dumb like that. It just it wasn't yeah. effective. I, they should have done it, but just the way they did it wasn't effective. The thing they did two years ago is when he came in, defenses were keyed on, hey, uh, I don't even remember what his number was at the time because it wasn't one, but it was, hey, that's the guy they're going to put in the backfield. That's the 23. Yeah. You yeah. know, 23's in, key on 23. He's going to be a guy in motion. He's going to do some different things. It was like the token Adori play. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But that's physically I look at him and I say, yeah, that type of offense, and even with the guys they're recruiting now, they're smaller, quicker running backs, and it's more about speed. And I just wonder his contributions to the team. Not to say that he can't do that in the slot, but I think in this offense, this is really where you go, wow, okay, you could put him out there, throw some flare routes to him, get that motion going, and, and he could be maybe a, a weapon. Like you said, misses the spring. That's a bit of an issue. But you know what? You went into the porthole, young man. <laughs> But and you came back. But you did as a running back. You didn't do that with Dominic Davis, right? And you could have done that with Dom the same thing with Dominic Davis. Now, partially, you have so limited Quarters, numbers, yeah, cornerback yeah. uh, during the spring. But he's the faster guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not going to break a tackle like Velas Jones might be able to break a tackle. Velas Jones didn't make a break a ton of tackles. You know, in the kick return game and stuff, he got tackled by some kickers. Yeah. Um. You, you know, that's the that's the step he has to take. Got in, tackled in, by some kickers, just low key. Had to throw that out there a little. <laughs> he did. He just he dunked did. on him a couple times. Shotgun <laughs> is the special team guy, man. You want to know yeah. about special teams and the little nuances? He knows because he. Diagrams. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's something that he has to take his game to the next level, and you know, maybe that's you know the the next step in his game. We see. Yeah. But if you're just going to go straight on speed, which is you know a lot of times you want that home run guy at the running back position. Why in, not in go with array. Dominic Davis? Yeah. But I get a sense from Dom that he doesn't want. He's, he's another move. He's with the D defensive, defensive backs. backs. Like yeah. that's that's his home for now. He's he's one of the few guys that I've ever seen. Speaking of Dominic Davis, that actually went untouched. In 40-yard, seven-on-seven. 
and I scored a touchdown. That's hard <laughs> to do. I mean, with all those guys catching the ball in the backfield, you're saying, yeah, yeah, all, all, all kind of together and everything. And he actually was able fast enough to to still get there and go untouched. And uh, that was that was pretty impressive. That was him when he was at Alamany. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks, Jagger, for the call. That was a very long answer. Uh, let's keep these we answers short. Different questions. We didn't even an- well, we answered the first one. I didn't hang up one. with him, so that's why I said thank you. Um, <laughs> so we, we have two more callers on the line. Uh, oh, keep yet. keep the answers short, um, Gerard. So let's go to the Cattleman. All he put was that he has a question about recruiting. Hello, Cattleman. East Coast Live, guys. How y'all been, Kaylee and Ryan? Doing Good. all right. Thanks for calling from Tennessee. Hey, Ryan, um, my boy Bill King wanted to, wanted to ask you how your yoga classes are going. Yeah, not yoga. I'm doing spin classes. So, you know, I'm not uh, – okay. should do yoga. So, 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 so we're not getting any downward duck out of you? No duck. Downward dog. <laughs> downward duck. I, I've done, I did those probably like 15 years. I haven't done yoga in a long time. But I'm doing the I'm – riding the, I'm riding the bike real fast in the morning. So, that's good. Anyways, well, guys. L- love, yeah, I uh, love you guys. I do have recruiting questions. Enough goofing off. Hey, two things, guys. Um, looking at 24-7, USC is currently ranked uh, 61 on the uh, 2020 cycle. How do you recruit um, when your coach is number one on CoachesHotSeat.com? Orgeron's killing it at LSU this cycle, and everybody knows Lane Kiffin's the best recruiter on earth. Um, how's this sell really long-term? Love you guys. Thanks, man. You win football games. That's it. You you try to right the wrongs from the five and seven season. You go out and you win games that people don't think you can win, and everything else takes care of itself. I mean that that's the simple answer. Now, if you're winning eight games, if you win nine games, it's a little more complicated. I think USC will still get some guys, but it's going to be harder, and you're going to l- still miss out on some of those feature type players, probably like a, a Justin Flo, Elias Ricks, etc. So you got to go out there, win games, and change everybody's mind. And, and, you know, we sit here now and we look at USC and we look at the season going forward, and it's so easy just to assume how things are going to go and how college football is going to go. You know, oh, Ed Ergeron's killing it out west. Man, listen, Ed Ergeron is killing it until he's not. I mean, LSU will be so quick to pull him and, and to fire him if he's not winning enough football games. He's not going to get the extra year that Clay Helton got. Um, it's crazy how quickly things can turn and how things can turn around. And so I, I think, you know, it, it's we really just got to take a step back and let, I think, the first four or five games of the season play out. We see how USC is going into that Utah game and then coming out of that Utah game knowing that they've got Washington. That's really going to be pivotal. I think at that point in the season, we're going to see how good this USC team can be. And, and if USC is bad at that point, the biggest question becomes, do they decide to get rid of Clay Helton midseason or do they let it play out? Because if you let it play out and you say, we don't want another interim coach in the middle of the season, there's still potential that Clay Helton could win eight or nine games. Then it becomes, do they get rid of him winning eight or nine games? And that's a whole nother can of worms. But that's that's sort of the question, I think. Yeah, and don't look at the rankings right now. There's just not that many commitments, and USC's kind of typical. They're in a position yeah. right now. You do have Bryce Young. You have a five-star quarterback. That usually helps boost the class, someone that can get out there and recruit. But don't look at the rankings now. They only have a, they only have four commitments, so that's why they're not ranked very high. So we have another caller on the line. It's Arthur from Alabama. Man, we got SEC country callers. I, know. I love it. Hello, Arthur. You're on live yeah. with Tunnel Vision. 
All right. I appreciate you guys taking my call. I've been listening to you guys for years now, but uh, I'll try to be real quick. I'm, I'm a truck driver, so I'm on the road, so hopefully I won't get cut off. But, uh, you know, from my perspective, in order to have a successful program, obviously you got to have quality coaching. You have to have uh, strength and conditioning. You also have to have quality recruiting. Uh, and, and that's a whole nother topic within itself because you can find those diamond and erupt players all across the country. They don't necessarily have to be four and five star players. But my question for you guys is dealing with player development. The reason I ask that question, living in the SEC country, more specifically with Alabama, uh, one of the things that they do well is player development. And they'll literally have simultaneous practices going on. So you'll have like the ones and the twos going, and you'll also have threes and fours going against each other. So you don't have idle players sitting on the sideline. There's consistent player development. So when you see players come out of the game, they're always running at a high level whenever they put a player into the game. So I just want your guys' take on development and i'll uh, drop off and hear what you guys have to say about that thank you for taking my call thanks arthur arthur and uh drive safe out there you're, i don't know if you're ever watching it on your phone as you're driving down the the, the uh, interstate audio there, only arthur audio no only yeah, don't, no, you don't <laughs> have to you look turn at it you on you put it on the clip you know you're just listening you know it's not like we're in action here game you're just yeah. not, he's not watching a live game yeah Maybe and it's, so, so the stuff you life. mentioned i think that's i mean it's very important usc's talent like I, yes the recruiting class for 2019 wasn't as good but bringing in Bru McCoy and Chris Steele, it's fine. It's top 15. Talent's not been the issue. I think player development has been a huge issue. You talked about coaching. I think it's been an issue. Last year, you had a bunch of coaches that were out of place. And, you know, I think Clay Helton fixed a bunch of those things. Whatever reason, strength and conditioning coach just, I mean, it just didn't seem to be working out. They bring in Aaron Osmus and everyone's responding to that. So I think some of those things were addressed. But the most important thing, I think, is, and it's, it's overlooked, is the player development aspect of it. And I, you, and, Places like Alabama, they recruit the hell out of it. And, and Clemson, they're bringing in four- and five-star guys. Clemson, not as much as in Alabama, but you've also seen them develop players. And we've seen that with, with some guys. We've seen, like, the Achenna and Wusus come in as, like, a safety, you know, a three-star safety and, and going out as second-round draft pick as a linebacker. We've seen it happen, but it's it's more of the exception than the rule. And I think that's one of the bigger deficiencies we've seen with this USC program over the last several years is – You've brought in the high-level talent, but have they developed and become even better than they were as recruits? Yeah. I Get, mean, getting I, those high-level level talent to players stronger would help their development. Yeah. And just listening to the player, current players, listening to some of them as they were leaving the workouts yesterday, the Aaron Osmus is basically kicking their butt. Uh, you know, looking at Valus Jones tweet the other day when he, you know, he's been gone. He comes back. He said this new weight program got me, and he had two uh, dead emoji, dead face emojis. You know, that that's, that's telling you that, you know, they're being worked really hard, and I think that that's going to, you know, translate as well. You see more development when 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 you're stronger than someone else, you look like you're more developed than them too. Yeah, working hard, not necessarily working smart or efficient. You know, the end result is going to be the players coming in. The guys that are not the five stars becoming better players, and then the five stars leaving USC as five stars. You know, Amon Marshall, I think that hurt USC a lot in that 2019 class, and even the 2020, when those kids look at a guy that coming out of high school was considered a generational talent, and then he leaves USC as a fourth round pick. People feel like that's really kind of the poster child, maybe, 
for underdevelopment for USC in terms of the weight room, in terms of the coaching that he's getting. Um, I think you, it's, it's, we're going into sort of the whole argument with the support staff, how much USC wants to invest in that. It seems like USC is okay when they're investing in maybe facilities and kind of trying to stay par with some of the schools in the Pac-12. But they're not par when it comes to support staff. And that goes for recruiting, and that also goes for strength and conditioning. And we saw a little bit of it. We're going to see how things you know, pan out with, with Aaron Osmus, obviously. And, 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 and if he gets a chance to really you know, be at USC long enough to be able to develop some of these players and, and put his mark on these players. Because we know if Clay Helton's out, they're probably going to have a coach that's going to come in. He's going to want to bring in his own people from a strength and conditioning point. And then it's going to be, okay, how much leverage does that coach have? Does USC give him what he wants? How much of that is part of the negotiation process with some of these coaches? There's a lot of questions when it comes to that. Is to how invested USC is in manpower because we've seen it with the recruiting staff. The resources just haven't been there in terms of manpower. And that's a real big issue because that's where the really the, the arms race is in college football right now. It's, it's not so much facilities. It's really about people and how many people you have doing those things, whether it be marketing for recruiting, the actual guys that are behind the scenes that are recruiting, guys like Gavin Morris. There's one Gavin Morris at USC, you know, Clemson and Alabama, they're, they're, they've got 20 guys like that. And so that's really where USC has fallen short in recent years. And we'll see if if that changes in, in the future. But I think that's part of it. There's a lot of parts to developing the talent. And not just developing it, but from a player pers- uh, personnel standpoint, making sure that you stay on top of those guys. They're not getting trouble. They're in class or graduating. Your APR is high, et cetera, et cetera. So it, there's a lot of different aspects that make up that sort of development, you know, player development. Player development is sort of becoming a key catchword like uh, culture is, you know, and it's like, well, what is it? Don't just say the culture at USC is bad. Well, get into what you mean by that, because there's culture in the locker room. There's the culture that the coaches sort of uh, uh, project and, and sort of uh, cultivate in, in their own, how they approach their players and how they deal with their players off the field. Then there's also the culture you have in the administration, the culture that you have in the board of trustees and those specific things and how they're good, how they're bad, positives and negatives. So you got to be a little more specific and detailed and break those down. It's like saying, oh, that kid's got a high motor. Oh, thank you, ESPN, for that amazing insight. You know, what does that mean, high motor? He's effort, but show me an example of why he has high effort. Like, I'll give you an example of Trayshawn Holden and what he did. That tells me that kid has got football IQ. He loves football. But just saying, oh, I like him because he loves football, that doesn't really get anybody anywhere. That's not insight. Yeah. Uh Thank you for the call. I'm going to return back to recruiting in a second. Um, we're already uh, halfway through the, the hour now. Uh, let's go because, Shotgun, you mentioned it. Yesterday, Tuesday, was USC's first player-run practice. I'm not sure how much you saw, Shotgun, but what were your observations from, from last night? I mean, the notables were seeing some of the guys that were there. I mean, Bernard Shermer being there, um, you, you know, seeing him out there, seeing uh, Drew Richmond. He did not participate in the workout, but he was there. You know, seeing those guys, seeing which freshmen were there this morning, seeing Chris Steele, seeing Brew McCoy, knowing those guys were on campus as well. It's just seeing the guys first. First off, it is interesting to see who exactly is there. Obviously, some kids were still, you know, had classes and different things, but 
being able to see some of the players and then you know see who's gotten a little bit bigger see how the bodies are changing a little bit and, and kind of just hearing the reactions you know we don't have an actual opportunity to interview them right now but just kind of the interactions you know listening to the players talk about you know the workouts and, and you know how kind of tired they were tells you that they, they're being worked by Aaron Osmus and you know they, they're getting their their workouts in and it's it's you know definitely wearing on them uh, and, and just kind of listening to the players, kind of interacting with each other. It's fun to get back around it. We didn't get to watch too much of it uh, because, you know, the, the Loker field was, was closed down so or locked up, so we weren't able to get in there and watch from over the top. You were banned. Basically. But, you know, seeing a guy like Talanoa being back out there. And, yeah. And CJ was out there today yeah. just kind of running around and – you know, good. He, he yeah. was, he's out there. He was coaching up guys. They yeah. listen to him coaching the players, and, and the one-on-one instruction tells you how, you know, how intelligent of a player he is, yeah, and yeah. you know what he can do uh, with his mind as well as his body. But seeing C.J. Pollard out there, you know, he's coming off the injury. A couple other guys that are coming back from injuries, seeing that they had been out there, you know, they got their full sweat in, you know, done the conditioning, and are back and, and are healthy. Guys that had missed the spring, I think those are important. Seeing Solomon Tulio Pupu. Uh, Tuli Alapupu out there is, is good. Uh, someone said that I think Dan said he was still. Dan in, said he didn't have his uh, cleats on. Yeah, so I didn't. I didn't notice that uh, at the time. But he, you know, he had been going through at least some kind of workout, which is is a little bit of a positive. And we're still waiting to see him be out there. And like I said, I, I'm waiting until I see two weeks of practice before I say anything about Solomon Tuli Pupu being in any lineup. You know, what kind of playing time he'll ever get? Uh, two weeks of practice first. Yep. Probably a good call there. Um, we have two calls. Well, let's go to them. Just a reminder to you gentlemen, please keep your responses short. Uh, to us? <laughs> yes. Yeah, probably not. Or you uh, Gerard. Ger- Gerard. Um, and then I'm going to, after those. Keely's always picking on me. After yeah. those calls, <laughs> we're going to get into uh, the uh, Periscope, Facebook, YouTube Live, all the questions. There's a lot yeah. of questions, so all we're going right, to get yeah. into that. Yeah, so we, it is amazing. We got like 40 minutes. We haven't even like started. I know. I see all your guys' questions. questions. We're going to get them to them. Don't worry. Uh, let's go to a live caller, Jackson from Phoenix. You are on the line. Hello. Hi. Uh, I'm sorry if I sound kind of nervous. I'm 12 years old. I'm a huge USC fan. I just had a question. Um, so Bryce Young, he's been bumped down about 10 ranks. A few months ago, he's ranked 27th. Now he's ranked 37th. And I think he's a five-star player. I bet you guys do, too. Um, where would he have chances besides the football season to bump up his rank? Thanks, Jackson, for the call. And, uh, yeah, you didn't sound nervous at all. No problem. No, you didn't. Did, he, did 24-7 drop him out of a five-star? I didn't see that. You know what? I pay so little attention Let me to pull that. Well, shotgun, pull that up five right stars. I know he's still a five-star. Uh, I believe he's still the number one ranked uh, oh, he's a four star. Oh, he's a four star now. But oh, he's wow. he's ranked number eighteen by our rankings. He's in the composite rankings. He's ranked. Yeah. Okay. Okay, uh, okay. Okay. Which okay. I don't. I don't. So he's cite a com- whatsoever because he's a composite four star, but a twenty four seven five star. I hate yeah. to take shots here, on the but I'm gonna well. sort of take oh, a shot, ooh. even though he's ranked Spice. eighteen. So some Gmart Spice is coming. Composite right now. does include ESPN rankings, and they're not good rankings. They they're can't not, see beyond the Mississippi. Yeah, they they don't really see players very much. And so, uh, you know, even on our target list, we keep it to 24-7 sports. And I know it's such a, a it sounds like such a biased homer thing to say, but I can tell you right now, sincerely and honestly, nobody sees as these kids as much as 24-7 sports. There's not another network that has the analysts and has the talent and the people from coast to coast that see kids like this and, and see them as much as we do. 
And so I tend to really stick with just the 24-7 sports rankings, and I kind of don't watch the composite rankings. So I was surprised to see he was actually a four-star with the composite rankings. He's always been a five-star by 24-7 sports, and he's still number one ranked dual quarterback in the nation. And so, you know, how can he go up? How can he go down? I mean, I think another consistent year season-wise He's not going to really do anything from a camp standpoint. We do have the opening finals that are coming up here at the end of the year, the beginning of July. There's potential with the Elite 11 that he can really show uh, people that, you know, he arm strength and all these other things. You're not getting to see the full package, though, of Bryce Young at these competitions. Really, it's sort of more of what he's not necessarily known for. What he's known for is being able to, 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 to make something out of nothing. And it's a little of the Sam Darnold. It's a little bit of just being able to scramble, keep his eyes downfield. He's not necessarily an athletic quarterback. He's not a dual-threat quarterback from the standpoint that he's going to just take off and run all the time. He's a guy that always has his eyes downfield. But the fact is he can get outside the pocket and get away from the rush and make a play downfield is is really his strength. And you're not going to really see that in the camp. There's not going to be a situation where he's going to have a big you know, defensive lineman running him down at a camp. Yeah. And so... That is what it is. Yeah. Jackson, thanks for the call. Hopefully you can make it down to Tucson this year when USC plays Arizona. Get your, your parents to drive you down to the game. You know. Yes, thanks we, for We calling should in. also note that Bryce Young was another guy who participated today. Yes. yes. You're yeah. a quarterback commit at a school. You don't have to, you don't have to go and perform, it, it, especially a five-star guy. Yeah. You know, if you're Keaton Slovis, you got you got to prove yourself a little bit last year. Uh, but Bryce Young doesn't have to. Today he was out there, you know, throwing the ball around. Who knows? He might be back next week. Knowing Bryce Young, he likes to compete. And he looked good. And he threw a pretty ball. And a lot of those deep balls that you're seeing that had good ball placement, who threw? Oh, yeah, it was Bryce Young. Yeah, and so, he was he was also chopping it up with a bunch of the USC players afterwards. You know, arguing yep. over NBA, you know, top five rankings and stuff. So you know that shows you that he's already kind of invested with a lot of guys at USC. Oh, very yeah. much, very Do, much. Doesn't yeah. always mean that he will end up at USC, but no. you know he's the headliner of this class and he's the the rock in the Oregon's right still now. on him. Oklahoma's still on him. They're going to push hard. You know, he wants to go to USC, but you know there were other players in last year's class that wanted to go to USC. Brew McCoy wanted to go to USC. He ended up at USC and then he left two weeks later. Now yeah. he's back. <laughs> it's a weird situation, but he's one of those guys that just win some games for me, USC, and I'll go there. <laughs> yeah. And just for a real quick side, Bryce Young was throwing to Amon Ross St. Brown a little bit today when they had the throwing line. So his former uh, modern-day teammate, they, they hooked those guys up a little bit today. So we have another caller on the line, Mark, from Corona. Hello, Mark. You're on the line. Oh, Mark. Hey, I had a two-part uh, two question. Okay. Uh, my it? first question was, uh, what is the role? What is the role that uh, it seems like Chris Hawkins plays a big role in recruiting? Um, I read that a lot of recruits are mentioning his name, and he seems like a young, energetic guy. And then my second question was, um, does it does it feel like you know with the addition of McCoy and Steele, does it feel like the aura of the culture is changing, or is the USC back, or is it fun to be a part of the program right now? Thanks, Mark, for the call. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the positive momentum. It's really been better. The vibe at practice, to, I mean, at the, the camp today, was so much better than, you know, even like maybe one of the early spring practices. It just seems like there's a spring in more people's step, you know, and having those guys back on campus, I think it's energizing. So, yeah, I think definitely things have trended up, uh, Mark. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Or yeah, I wouldn't necessarily take it to the point of it's culture change. You know, it's it's just a different feel. It's a more positive feel. 
it was a bit of a homecoming, it seemed, for those guys. And they, they all know each other. I mean, all those kids know each other. They've, they've played against each other in 7-on-7. Seven seven. Some of them have been 7-on-7 seven seven teammates. Uh, they've been around the campus, and, and Chris Steele and Brew McCoy both have been around the team a lot. So it's just, you know, old faces again, and it's just a, a thing that's very comfortable and, and something that they know. So, yeah, definitely positive, and they're, and they're happy, and, you know, that makes everybody else happy. Now, in terms of the first question, which I, I think is, is definitely interesting, is, is the dynamic of Chris Hawkins as a graduate assistant now at USC. You know, we kind of talked a little bit about the lack of recruiting that we saw when Ronnie Bradford was there. Um, I think with Chris Hawkins, his place right now is that he is a part of the new era of recruiting. Chris Hawkins came up. He was a B2G guy. He's come up with social media. He was a recruit not that long ago, and right. he was really a part of it. His dad runs uh, Ground Zero. He's the co-founder of Ground Zero, which is a 7-on-7 seven seven team uh, in, in Southern California, one of the more successful 7-on-7 seven seven teams in the nation. And so his dad is there. He understands sort of the off-season recruiting and, and the, the dynamic the recruiting trail has from that point of when you're in January all the way up to August. So I think that's a big deal, and I think he relates well with recruits. Um, he knows some of those recruits personally. I mean, a guy like uh, Darion uh, Green Warren, he knows personally just from ground zero. And so I think he, that's that's a different dynamic that he brings. Greg Burns has been very involved with recruiting. I think obviously being a position coach and a guy that's hands-on, you know, that's always going to be there. I think Chris is is a nice kind of foot in the door, sort of a guy that can introduce USC to the recruiting process to a lot of defensive backs and be a guy that sort of relates a little more maybe because he's younger. And like I said, he understands the recruiting process from this kind of new wave, this new era of recruiting. He's funny. He's a straight talker. Very smart kid. Yeah. So, and he's, you know, intelligent on the field as well. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of things going for Chris Hawkins, especially in the recruiting. You know, he can, he teaches up guys. You know, he was coaching up uh, players today during the camp, you know, but also the end that he has with Ground Zero. And because he's known some of those kids, the Darion Green Warrens, Elias Ricks, that have, you know, grown up in that Ground Zero program yeah, for yeah. four or five years, uh, that, you know, he's known for since he was playing at USC and they were looking up to him. So it's a big end for USC, especially with that group in, in particular. And he wants to be involved. He wants to be involved in recruiting, wants to make sure that, you know, he can talk to these kids and he gets to know these kids. And so it's uh, he's handicapped a little bit. He's restricted, obviously, as a graduate assistant. He can't go out on the road. He can't get off campus and do a lot of recruiting. But he's definitely involved and interested in it. And when these kids on campus, he knows them. And like I said, he can relate really well to them. Thanks, Mark, for the call. We appreciate you. Um, let's go to some questions. We yeah. have a question um, from... John Goins, who says, since Drew Richmond will most likely become the right tackle, will there be open competition for the right guard position between Jalen McKenzie and Andrew Voorhees? I mean, you're not bringing in Drew Richmond to be to sit on the bench, so he's going to be in the competition. Now, where you put him, that's going to be the question. You think that Austin Jackson has locked down the left tackle spot? You know, does that tell you that that Jalen McKenzie is getting bumped? I don't necessarily know that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Andrew Voorhees struggled some last year. He looked much better in the spring. So I don't think it's going to be necessarily that easy for someone to bump him out of that spot. He's the most experienced of those young guys. You know, he played more than Austin Jackson. He played more than Jalen McKenzie. You know, he's the, the veteran of that group. He's played offensive tackle, too. Yeah, so, you know, I think it's going to be hard. I think a lot of people just assume he'll get bumped. He struggled last year, and that's not, that's not uh, you know, anything that's unknown. But he had a back injury. He's healed from the back injury. He looked much better this spring. 
I expect him to be a, one of the, the toughest to move out of that spot. So I don't know that it'll be necessarily a McKinsey versus Voorhees battle, but both those guys do have the flexibility of playing guard and tackle. So I think you see that. You might move Drew Richmond around. You know, you could use yeah. him in different spots too. We like the way Elijah Vera Tucker looked at uh, mm-hmm. left guard, yeah. but, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of experience there. So, I mean, you but a very talented guy. Yeah, very there's some movement guy. that could be made. So, but I, I don't think you bring in a Drew Richmond in to sit the bench, though. I agree with, with Shotgun. Um, and I, and I, I agree to say even that I don't know if I want to move Jalen McKenzie from right tackle. Uh, I mean, I, I like to have some depth there, possibly. And you just don't know how the season's going to progress. It's nice to have some versatility there. And like I said, Voorhees is a guy that's played inside and outside. But Voorhees is... is he, he, he's been a guy that's been pretty proven. And, and I know he didn't have a great year last year, but he came in as a true freshman and a guy that nobody yeah. thought was going to play. He's and got, he got 20-some starts, I think. Yeah, for, yeah so you know. he, he I, I think he's if he's healthy, I think that that spot is okay. And Jalen McKenzie you can play around with, but I wouldn't mind having somebody there. I wouldn't mind having a, a legit competition at right tackle, quite frankly, with Jalen McKenzie and Drew Richmond. The, I, the good thing is that there is going to be competition now. Because yeah. in the spring, there was not. Yeah, there right. was not. And there was a huge drop-off from first team to second team. Now, you get Tim back, you get Bernard Shermer, maybe you get Clayton Bradley back from his back injury. Now things are looking up for the offensive line a little bit more depth. Because you know you're going to have at least one or two injuries on the offensive line. It happens every single yep. year, every single team. You know, it's very, very, very rare that a team has five starters go the full season without an injury. So. We have a question from Super OC Holmes who says, uh, is there a happy medium between last year's complicated offense and this year's offense that was installed in three practices, just in case the opponent's defense is athletic and closes space well? Uh, I don't think you're going to see a happy medium. I think you're going to see what we saw in the spring. Uh, we we really didn't get to see much of the run game. Uh, how much is that incorporated? We know that uh, Graham Harrell's teams ran the ball about 47% of the time. We just didn't see a whole lot of that in the spring um but you know did they add some wrinkles and try to make it a little more complicated if people are catching on maybe but i i think what you see is kind of what you get they just want to execute and do what they do well and that's just something that we didn't see before i think it's a it's going to be a welcome change yeah i i don't think that the offense on paper isn't necessarily a happy medium i i, I think people automatically assume it's air raid it's five receivers they're yeah. spreading it they're going to be washington state we didn't see that extreme in spring ball. You know, we saw them using Josh Follow a lot, and we saw them use the tight end. We saw them not necessarily run the ball, and certainly I didn't see them run the ball successfully. We've kind of talked about that a little bit before. Clay Helton has made some comments to to kind of imply that he was really happy with the offensive line. He was happy with the run game, and we just didn't see it. But in terms of personnel and the tendencies of the offense, it's not maybe the departure away from the offense of old and just in terms of what they do as much as maybe people think. Yeah. We have a question from Danny Hurtado on Facebook. He says, do you think that Achille Ross will have to settle on a division two to find a home? I don't know. I've been kind of got some sources around him and I you know, thought there would be some movement either in March or April. Uh, I reached out to them again and, and didn't really get a response when, you know, checking that. So uh, to me, it seems like, there's some stuff in the works, or he's, they're trying some things, but we haven't heard one way or another where he's going to end up. But it might be something like that, uh, where if there's just not a spot for him. Uh, so we, we don't know at this point, but there's, I think we're going to know something soon over the next couple of weeks. This is sort of like the time when thing, things are falling into place with a lot of players, and I, I think you're going to hear something about him soon, but we just don't know at this point. 
As I've said, I think there's going to be a lot of players that end up having to settle for lower divisions just because there's not the spots. There's yeah. not the initial counter spots for, t- for players to come on. So, you know, I think there's going to be some really, really good FCS teams. That's what yeah. I think is going to actually happen. Yeah. I think there's going to be a couple of Portland State or Eastern Washington or someone is just going to rack up on some kids that are coming down uh, a, a rank because they're just not spots. Yeah. We like him a lot. We like Achille a lot. Hopefully he finds a great landing spot. So we wish the best for him. Jasper Smith says, what are the odds that Justin Flo is wearing Cardinal and Gold come signing day in 2020? The odds, 78%. 78.6%. You were saying that USC needs to win like 11 games to get him. So what? Are you trying to say that they're not going to win 11 games? No, I'm saying like the odds of USC winning 11 games and signing Justin Flo are not 78%. So if that's what you thought. I don't know. You want a percentage. There you go. (laughs) Basically what Gerard is saying is that he does not do percentages. Um Justin Flo is a guy that yeah you got to win games. He, he wants yeah. to go to USC. He's one of the he, he most to. coveted recruits in the country. Yes. Yeah, especially especially right now of uncommitted players, he is one of the yeah. most coveted players. There are programs from all over the country coming to visit him every chance they get. So USC, if USC is struggling, that's not you know right, if, right. if you're being yeah. recruited by everyone in the country, you don't go well. Let me go to that place that's yeah. struggling right now. You have to do no. USC has to do its part. And they would grease the wheels to make it a lot easier for Justin Flo to come. I will say this. There is one recruit, and I'm not going to say whether it's Justin Flo or not, that has told USC, you win 10 games, I'm coming. He's a five-star. There is one recruit out there that actually has said that. Wow. The I'm things like you a learn on Tunnel Vision. He actually that's said a, 10 games. That sounds like something someone would post on the Peristyle. Like, you know, the, a recruit actually saying that is pretty crazy. I'm going to have to get the scoop later. Ooh. Yeah. That sounds like a war room thing. Yeah. Uh, Ula Ula on YouTube says, Hey, Gerard, what is going on with Kendall Milton? Is that going to be another big fish that gets away? That ship has sailed, I think. I think USC... That's USC waving goodbye. Yeah, I don't think USC was as high on Kendall Milton as other schools. And he wasn't really that high on USC. And USC really had to recruit him hard to kind of stay in that conversation. They didn't. So he's not going to go to USC. He's a five-star running back out of uh, Fresno. Yeah, yeah. Which high school is he going to? Buchanan. Buchanan High School. Yeah, that's a good one. HR Picking Stuff says, Hey, G-Mart, can you recall a diamond in the rough who you saw real early and was not on anyone's radar? (sighs) Not on anyone's radar? I mean, Chad Wheeler was a kid that he was committed. Was he committed to Cal? No, I think he was just getting recruited hard by Cal. Yeah. You sent me out to go. I filmed him one time. He was like 250 pounds playing (laughs) defensive end and and tackle. Volleyball player. And a guy that I just liked the way he moved. And, and, and he was a volleyball player. And he was a really good volleyball player. And, he, I mean, we go back to the whole 6'6", 248-pound type guy. And there's a perfect example of it. I mean, we actually had a source that said that he had really bad a really bad combine. Do you remember that? Yeah. There was a conversation we had with a, with a, a, a good source that kind of talked like, oh, man, I don't think he's going to really be able to make it. And he was really bad on the board, talking with the NFL teams. And there's a guy turned around and started mm-hmm. as a rookie. Um, but that's another one of those 250-pound type guys that I, mean, I believe he was a vegan or something when he went to USC. So it was even hard for him to gain the weight. But he figured out a way to do it, and he ended up being really good. But that's a guy that off the top of my head that was a little kind of low-key, not necessarily really out there in the radar that, you know, just I, I liked him. And, and USC took a took – a, and USC, Kennedy Polamalu had to really pound the table for him. <laughs> they, they, they looked at him and they go, really? He's a 250-pound kid and he's a volleyball player and he's playing at Santa Monica High School? Really? This is the guy we want to go after? And Kennedy Polamalu, yeah, he was pounding the table to get him. And 
that was the reason why they got him because he really recruited him hard. What about uh, Justin Davis? Was he well known? Like when he was, he was more well known. I mean, we saw him really early at the Oakland Nike camp. At that point, it was at Stanford still, and that was a a kid out of Stockton that not a lot of people talked about. At that point, I mean, okay, I saw Kevin Thibodeau, uh, you know, really early as a freshman, but I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh yeah, I discovered yeah. him. But you know, <laughs> right. yeah, we see kids all the time. It's funny the early ones are fun. Like I remember covering a LA Nike camp when Iman Marshall was a freshman at Long Beach Poly, like or like gonna be a freshman, and Gerard's like, watch that guy. He, you know, and. He ends up being a five-star, you know, so you're watching him like four years before he graduates high school. So those are always kind of fun when, you know, even then you just roll into a camp and you know, I want to see these three guys. And then some dude walks in and you're like, who the heck is that? And you're just like, oh, and that, I mean, it happens today. Like, oh, that guy ended up getting an offer or he ends up committing. So those are the kind of fun things when you kind of like get to do your own discovery. There's a lot of well-known people out there, but there's some diamonds in the rough too. And it's tougher to do nowadays because offers just go out so much. Yeah. You know, we have to kind of stay on top of guys. They offer a kid as an eighth grader, they offer kids as a ninth grader, and you're going, okay, well, I got to know that kid. So you're focusing on the kids that they've already offered scholarships to, and you don't necessarily get that time to be able to just sit back and go, well, who's actually playing well? You know, it, What about eighth grader? What about eight minutes after they're born? Drake Jackson's <laughs> little brother, Herm Edwards, was in the... <clears throat> In the hospital, I didn't hear about and this. held his little brother and said he had an offer. So, wow, yeah, wow. yeah that happened. I want to go with Chase Williams as my discovery pick because uh, I remember telling you and Biggins that we were at one camp and I just saw him and I was like, this dude just I don't know who he is, but he just keeps catching touchdowns. That and was as, as a pylon. I think that was the pylon seven on. And yeah, you were out there and you're like that kid. And he was, a, I think, a premium kid at that point, but he was an underclass. No, he was a uh, different eat. Oh, was all right. okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jasper Smith says, "If we're being all wrapped up, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping you guys short. We're at seven o'clock, so we're gonna go yeah. into rapid fire mode, which means short answers, people. Rapid fire. Here we go. If all were injury free and eligible to play this year, which receiver will have the best production this season? Kyle Ford, Brew McCoy, or Drake London? Drake London. Drake London. Just Drake London. Because he's got the best true. chance to play. He said, if all are eligible and healthy, Brew McCoy." Drake London. There's a reason why he's the ranked the highest. He's going to have the most points because he played basketball too, and you'll get points there. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, legendary Lurch Logan says, why hasn't Dominic Davis been tried out for return specialist with his speed? You'd think that he would be a good fit. He does return kicks in yeah, practice. Yeah, he does. There's a lot of questions with Dominic Davis. We just don't know. Like, It's sort of like if you could just did a reset on Dominic Davis's career, like it could have turned out completely different. But just for whatever reason... The path he's taken is just—it's just not been fruitful. If you—if you knew that Steve Sarkeesian wasn't going to be the coach for four years that he was here, then you would go to Washington State, and he would have been used so well in that offense. Yeah. We have another interesting question from Jasper Smith. He says, "How far did Clay Helton's loyalty to Neil Calloway set USC back?" Oh, can you measure that? <laughs> uh, can we gauge that in 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 wins and losses? Depends on who you talk to. I've definitely heard some—you know—maybe it's hindsight twenty twenty things, but some not positive things about. Uh, what was going on there. Uh, we talked about this on the recruiting show just real quick. Uh, I felt the talent last year was probably better on the offensive line than it's going to be this year. Now, maybe Drew Mitt Richmond kind of uh, turned, you know, tips the scale a little bit, but I think with Tim Drevno, they're just going to be coached up better and you're going to see better production out of this offensive line than you saw before. But that's one of those things where that's a mistake from last year that Neil Calloway probably shouldn't have been there. When you bring in Tim Drevno, he should have took over the offensive line. That was a year too late. You go five and seven, I, you know, how much did that set the program back? It could have been, I think, significantly. Yep. Uh, Ulao Ulao says, Gerard, would you say that JT Daniels looks like he has this system down, and can he be the guy, guy in all caps, this year? Well, 
You know, Graham Harrell has said some things about not thinking too much. And so I don't know if I'd say he has the system down. Uh, I think that uh, we're going to see that in the fall. We just need to see the offense in full in the fall. I think they focused a lot on passing the ball, and they look better passing the ball. But we need to see kind of the whole offense. And uh, we don't know how much the playbook they were working with. We think they were probably working with a vast majority of it. But I think in fall camp, we just need to see a lot more 11-11, a lot more team scrimmaging. You know, we talked about it, not to go into rehashing that, but, you know, when we were just there at that last practice, and that was – we felt like the best practice of spring football. And it was like, why was it the last practice? This should have been week two at least, if not the second practice of spring ball, seeing that competitiveness and seeing that a much of 11-11. So hopefully, you know, that it, it translates into the fall camp, them having more of those type of practices. Uh, HR Pink stuff wanted to know, Gerard, who was the best two-way player you saw in high school? Uh, Patrick Peterson, who became Pat Patrick Johnson, who became Patrick Peterson, who ended up committing to LSU by far. Uh, amazing. I mean, he played running back. He played quarterback. Um, he was a great cornerback, uh, but he also played receiver. He was at the Rising Stars camp, and he played both ways, and he played Trojan ball, which was kind of this, uh, this kind of grab-ass thing that they would do, and they throw the ball around. And he was out there just, I mean, dominating this silly little game, skying over guys, making interceptions, and throwing the throwing the ball seventy yards, flat footed, just incredible athlete. He he was he's one of the top players of all time. Watching, yeah, Tyron Smith actually at that camp too. Who uh, our old writer Zach Lahato made one of the best uh, evaluating comments. He goes, "You gotta love Tyron Smith. He can scratch his knees without bending over." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, he does. Long arms, these big gigantic hands." Uh, but still, Patrick Peterson, aka Patrick. What Johnson, high school was he? Who Tyron Smith? No, pa Patrick. Uh, he was. Uh, I think uh, he was Florida, Pompano right? Beach. Uh, Ellie High School, okay. Eli High School. I can't. I'm not sure how you. But he came out for me, like Eli. Give me DeAnthony Thomas in high school. He was just incredible. He was no one could touch him when he had the ball in his hands. He made people look silly. He was a, a shutdown cornerback too. Too good. He was really good. OJ Mo on Facebook says, "Do you think with so many wide receiver weapons, it'll be it'll open up the running game more?" It, it needs to. Yeah, <laughs> That's the hope. <laughs> I mean, I think there's just a lot of great matchup problems that you can have. And it, just at the running back spot, I mean, a Stephen Carr, Vavai, I mean, he could be one of the more exciting players you see. Uh, I Yeah, I feel like that there's a lot of talent on offense, and most of it's coming back. It just wasn't utilized well last year, and you utilize it well, and I think that could just make – it could explode. You know, it, there's really high potential for this offense. We have multiple questions on Facebook about offensive line recruiting. Uh, Anthony says, how's recruiting going for some of the top offensive linemen? And Brent says, let's hear about the O-line development. How are we doing to improve or how are we going to improve our running game? I will just point out that Liam Douglas is huge right now yeah. compared to what he was when I first saw him, when he first got his offer at the elite camp two years ago yeah. when he was 240 60, pounds yeah, or something. He, yeah, he was like a 260 yeah. guy, I think. It, it, it he looks like a completely different person. Yeah. So that's telling me that there is some development of muscle going on with that offensive line group, yeah. which is something we not, haven't necessarily seen or we haven't necessarily said about the group. You're like, oh, they changed weight a little bit, 10 to, 10 to 12 pounds here back and forth, but – haven't seen that big, uh, big improvements of weight. And we we talked about the offensive line recruiting a little bit last year. Great class. USC kind of missed on a bunch of dudes this year. Not as good of a class. You're going to get some 250 kind of pound guys. We we talked about. So it's not. There's not a lot of like 
300-pound ready-made guys on the West Coast of the offensive line for yeah. the 2020. A lot, a, a lot of uh, Liam Douglases. I mean, yeah. a lot of guys that are going to have to project and you're going to have to put weight on. Um, you know, Jeff Percy was at the camp. That's a guy USC's after. It's another 260-pound type of guy. Um, Jonah Monheim is another guy that USC's recruiting, another guy that's not exactly 300-pound type dude. You're going to have to put a weight on. Miles Morrow is probably one of the most ready-made guys uh, at a modern-day high school as a guard. You know, he's about 6'3", about 290, 300 pounds. He's a guy that I think, you know, some people are saying he could play center also. That's a little more of a plug-and-play guy. That's a guy that, you know, maybe maybe redshirt freshman. I, I think you would probably want to redshirt him, but he could probably come in and play right away and being at modern day, playing against top competition. I think that he's going to transition very well. Um, you know, USC still after Alex uh, Harrison, who's uh, the big offensive tackle out of Utah. Uh, a guy that they have a really good shot at is Connor McLaughlin, and he, he's a big 6'6", 260-pound guy who was 235 pounds last year out of Tampa High School uh, or in, in Tampa, Florida. Uh, that's a guy that I think is is another. I mean, we're talking about a lot of 260-pound type guys. A lot of, these these are guys that you're not going to plug in right away, and you're not going to expect to play right away. USC is going to have to take the long road with these guys. They're going to have to develop these guys, and that is is kind of the key word. And and with the offensive line, you got to be able to have guys that you know end up being 200, 300 pounds. But when they come into to, to the program, they're going to be 250, 260 pounds. Drake Metcalf, another guy that's in that in that mix, yeah. similar, yeah. you know, smaller guy that, that would have to put on some weight, probably develop a little bit more. Sean on Facebook says, "Will the air raid beat or at least move the ball against Bama next year, and will Helton still be the coach?" Oh, that's that's really projecting way out there. <laughs> um, if I had to to bet that Clay Helton coaches against Alabama and put money on it, I would say no at this point. Um, well, if and so, then you don't know what offense is going to be. If you're I was going to say, yeah, that. I mean, if if we say Clay Helton is going to come back, then we know that that's going to probably be the offense, and then we can talk about how that offense stacks up against Alabama. But if Clay Helton's not back, then yeah. who knows what the offense is going to be? So that's tough to project. That's tough to project. There's I, so much is going to happen between now and then. I mean, just between now and July 1st when Carol Fult takes over. I mean, there could be fireworks, or there could not be anything. So that's. Silence. Business as usual. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's pretty far off for what we're. Dallas Schwartz also asked. Uh, Once we're through with nice guy Clay, do you see SC making a run at the Bama or Clemson OC or possibly elevate Graham? There, there's no opening there, so we're not going to answer. There's that. no opening. You know the rules. And guys. those are not the kind of. And just traditionally, are those the kind of people USC's hired when there is an opening? No. 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 Uh, we have a question from Jeff. He says, "Who's going to be better, offense or defense, as a unit next year?" I'm gonna say offense just because the scheme is gonna be better and they got all this talent back. I think I th I love the front seven and you know Chris Steele is gonna help the defense too, but I I'm just not sure yet how it's all gonna work. I, th I think it can, but I'm gonna I would I would put my money on the offense right now. I'm not sold on the secondary yet, so I'm going offense. Boy, I want to go defense. I want to shock everybody and say defense because yeah, man, the offense is completely unproven. I mean, we're talking about paper mm -hmm. champions right now and. Yeah, they're going to do this, and they're going to throw a ball here, and they've got this guy, and they've got that guy. And with this type of talent being plugged in, the net type of offense, it's two plus two, right? And it's just going to work. But we don't know. You know, we don't know how JT is going to progress into this offense. It's kind of an old offense for him. Obviously, he ran something similar at Modern Day, uh, but this ain't Modern Day playing against you know Santa Margarita. This is USC playing against other teams that have been better and have developed better and had better schemes. So it's gonna. I think it might take them a while, and it's just a question of 
if it does take them a while and, and they lose games, uh, how, how is that just how is that dynamic going to be with Clay Helton and, and Graham Harrell? How, how are they going to work together and are they going to jump? Are they going to junk it? Are they going to get away from it quickly? I, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. It's hard to say. Did that other real quick? Did that other question say Alabama's offensive coordinator? Yes. And which Clemson's is, offense coordinator, which but, I would look for their defensive coordinator. Right. Brett Venables is that, but Alabama's offensive coordinator, isn't that Steve Sarkeesian? Yeah. So they, is that who they wanted to hire? Like, I've just, I didn't even think didn't about catch. that. catch. I didn't even yeah. catch that. Okay. Uh, I just noticed this, but Armand Hawkins actually dropped into our comment section. He said, Chris Hawkins will turn USC football around, period. Don't believe me. Just watch. Armand. Tell Armand to ask Chris what hat I was wearing today. I put a smile on his face. <laughs> Nice. Well, I, I will it. just go ahead and reveal that he was wearing a ground zero. <laughs> Shotgun. That was my war room for this week. <laughs> uh, since since we're bringing up Steve Sarkeesian and old coaches, there was a question: What are the chances SC brings in Norm Chow as a consultant to mentor Graham Harrell? So I saw that before. Uh, we I, all skipped it for a reason, Shotgun. I, <laughs> well, I just want to see Ryan's I, reaction. I talked. No, no, I don't mind. <laughs> it's that. video. We need the reaction. Norm Chow yeah. shouldn't be like the offensive coordinator. I actually spoke at a luncheon that he was at, and uh, yeah, I talked to him. He would. He hasn't been contacted. This was probably six months ago. He had at the time he hadn't been contacted, but he would be willing to be a consultant or you know an analyst or something like that. But they, USC hasn't contacted. I don't have a problem with that. Why would you bring in Norm Chow to mentor someone on an air raid offense? I mean, that he, offense is that they ran the but, BYU style offense. He also has a spread, job, but not an air raid. He just accepted. He's the offensive coordinator for the Los Angeles XFL team. Oh, I didn't even see that. that oh. Breaking news that happened today. Apparently, <laughs> oh, I saw it on Twitter. Congrats, congrats Norm. But he, oh, I, we Norm actually B. talked about that. He said, like, you want to talk about spread wide open stuff. He did all that stuff. So there's different concepts, but they, you know, now he has a real job. So that's good. Slap an exclusive on it, Keely. <laughs> Uh, Brandon Jones really wants to know what are our chances in flipping Elias Ricks now that Brew McCoy and Chris Steele are back quote unquote home. I don't think the chances are better until USC wins ten or eleven games. Mm. It's going to be even harder if Elias Ricks does end up going out of state. He, yeah, he might go to IMG. Well, IMG is where we're kind of hearing he's going to end up. But IMG is a heck of a lot better than Lab in Baton Rouge. Yeah. But like if USC wins the Pac-12 and LSU kind of goes like seven and five, maybe. Huh? Yeah, you just—I mean, we always sit here preseason and we have all these assumptions. This is how the season's going to go, and we're always surprised. There's things yeah. that just happen, things just blow up in college football, and yeah, I mean, so much can can change so quickly. Yeah. Ula um, Lau wants to know, Jared, if you know what happened in the Jalen Ramsey recruiting story. Uh, USC USC was seven and six, and they lost in the Sun Bowl. And all those kids at the Army All American Bowl were sitting in that lobby, and they're going, "Why are you going to USC again?" Uh, there's a lot of talk of he lied to Lane Kiffin and he lied to T Martin and this, that, and the other. And I think there's probably a little bit of that. He was ready to decommit. He wanted to get away from it, and he wasn't necessarily being upfront with them in terms of his official visits and his in-home visits, because I know there was some talk of. Oh, yeah, we're going to have USC as the last in-home visit. And then I think Florida and Florida State came in after them. And USC wasn't really happy with that. But at the end of the day, USC just looked bad. And I, I think all the momentum that they had in that 2000 class, that was like 2011, 2012, they had, you know, 18 players committed preseason. And it was the number one class in the nation. And there was nobody that could touch them at that point. Right. You know, they, and they didn't have even Leon McQuay uh, actually committed yet. And it just completely fell apart on them. And so that's what happened. I mean, that's really what happened. You Talk go about out there. stud misses. He is one of the bigger stud misses at 
out there. Yeah. Absolute stud. Yeah. Every time we saw him, he was a stud. As another guy that, you know, in terms of not really a both-way talent, but he was another Rising Stars guy that we saw and was, yeah. was, was very dominant. Raphael on Facebook says, what is the chance that Jack Sears or even Matt Fink knocks off JT Daniels from the number one spot? Small. I don't think it'll happen. Yeah. Could still. Hey, man, if they lose a bunch of games early... Well, the, yeah. That's not knocking him off, though. Yeah, fall camp, no. Yeah, it is. That's him losing the job. That's different. <laughs> yeah. You, well, Sam Darnold. Still losing the job. It's Sam, not knocking someone off. Yeah. San Clemente High School. Knocking off would be in Same the high school. camp. He can run the ball. Oh, my gosh. It could be a rebirth. <laughs> what happens if What happens if they lose? Let's say they, they lose three games out of that first four, and then they throw Jack Sears in there, and then he just does the Sam Darnold. How, how? What happens then? With then, Clay then, then they go to the Rose Bowl and they have an exciting finish over Penn State. Obviously. All right. <laughs> well, let's. Uh, good, good call. I think we got to wrap stuff up here. Well, yes, yeah, since we, we are wrapping it up, we actually did get a question about this, so don't blame me, Ryan. Uh, we had a question from Sean about baseball news. I'm out of here, Mr. Shotgun. <laughs> give us your baseball minute update. I think I just switched. So USC was, was uh, supposedly was close to a higher uh, earlier this week with Andrew Chekis from UC Santa Barbara, but that deal fell apart because the, the two parties were too far apart as far as far as finances. USC, I've heard a lot of people tell me that uh, they're closing in on a deal with Jason Gill from LMU, who went to regional and uh, took number one USC, UCLA to the ropes uh, in that regional. So that's your update. That's the latest. Still hearing some other names involved, but. Uh, the latest has been Jason Gill has been thrown around. Interesting. Wow. All right. I kept job. it short. Great that job. was short. Yeah, well, nice. The, the quick answer. Uh, um, shotgun, I know I missed questions. Um, uh, there were some questions about the camp today. Uh, you know, One was Gary Bryant was not there. No, no he was not. Was Mikey Keene a quarterback at the camp today? No, he was not. What is the chance that USC is getting the quarterback from Guardian Sarah? Not necessarily this camp, but uh, over the weekend, Malik Murphy, I believe they're referencing. 2022? Yeah, 22. Chances? <laughs> well, he he's another guy like Miller Moss that I saw last year. When, the first time I saw him, the ball just flies off his hand. Yeah. It, it looks great coming off. He's got the, the uh, prototypical frame. He's a big kid. Yeah, so he's got to win the starting job at Guardian Sierra first. Exactly. You know, they, they got a lefty, Doug Brumfield, who's got some offers from, from some teams like I like Doug. Doug. Doug's got a nice ball, too. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with him. Uh, USC, he didn't have the best day at USC performance-wise. Um, he, he definitely got better as the day went on and as the games became a little more important. You could see things clicked with him. I think when he came in, he was just kind of cruising through and it's like, hey, you know, I'm throwing the ball around at USC. It's real fun. You know, that Lincoln team kind of took it to them early because Lincoln came out and, that, like I said, they came out with a purpose during that seven-on-seven -seven tournament. Uh, but Malik Murphy got better as the day went on. And I think USC's just got – got to get their foot in the door. You know, quarterbacks, they get offered earlier than every other position, and that's a kid that's got a big arm, big body, uh, good footwork, and, and a guy that's just got so much talent that you, you get the foot in the door, you offer him, and then you kind of see what happens. And yeah. he's got some big offers. He's well. already Ohio got a State, bunch of – Georgia, yeah. a bunch of those teams. Is Zachary Evans really a generational recruit who is a running back out of Texas, I believe? Yep, Houston, it, it, North Shore. Is there a running back now that's a generational recruit? I mean, look at the NFL. Would you say Ezekiel Elliott's generational, though? No, I wouldn't even say that. So I think as a running back, it's too, it's too difficult to be a generational recruit anymore. I, I don't know that you can't be. I, I just think that's one of those things that kind of happens in college more than it happens out of high school. I, guys get you know get hurt and get banged up, and it, it's just hard to see if they're able to be generational recruits. I, I, I know what you're saying. It tends to be more – 
running back by committee a little mm-hmm. more with, ga- with 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 teams. Um, you know, you've seen Georgia have a lot of success with running backs. You've seen Alabama have success with no. running backs. Are any of those guys been really generational? I I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure there's an argument to be made there, but the last um, re- generational guy was Reggie. Yeah, Reggie's the last generational running back. And, right. and, and to be honest with you, I don't know if gen- if Reggie if I don't know if USC would have said. Reggie was generational coming out of high school because I know for a fact there was a lot of talk about him playing receiver. UCLA wanted to recruit him at receiver specifically, and that's why he kind of dropped UCLA. USC kind of had to be talked in to him playing running back. Pete Carroll had to be kind of talked in. Hey, no, no, he really is a running back. So, uh, you know, again, I think it's the college is sort of where you set it up, and if you can be that guy that's just the feature type running back. And this offense at USC, you're talking about Zach Evans, who USC is kind of like on the outside looking in right now. I, 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 you know, they're going to have a system where you can even be that guy. Yeah. I I just don't, there's no Reggie Bushes or Herschel Walkers walking out the door right now. SNS production, sorry, shotgun says what running backs in the 2020 class can line up at wide receiver. And I missed your question. I, it wasn't a bad question. SNS. There's also what is the running back recruiting looking like from from uh, TM uh, and Justin Garrett? Are we mainly going for Bijan Robinson for running back? So let's combine all the running back stuff for you. Yeah, Bijan Robinson is kind of one of the few kind of featured guys, and I think he'll take an official visit here to USC probably this month. Still up in the air if it's going to be a summer visit, but he wants to get a bunch of summer visits done, and USC's on that list. The other guys are like Ty Jordan that are smaller guys that are that five eight five nine type of scat backs that, you know, they're maybe a little interchangeable with with the slot and then the running back. That's sort of why I bring up Velas Jones. Mm-hmm. And obviously Velas Jones is already there, but I can see a guy like that in the future being a running back just as easy as he can be a receiver in that offense because they want to throw the ball to the running back. I mean, they they that that's the one thing I think from the Washington State side of things and what Mike Leach does. They throw the ball to the running back a lot, and I think Graham Harrell would like to do that. Yeah. Do what you, about playing wide? Was, was a running back play wide receiver? Is that the question? Like who could play wide receiver? Keely. Oh, sorry, I'm reading questions. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. What's a running back who could line up at wide receiver in 2020? A running back that can. Oh man. Um, there's there's so many out of state running backs that they're looking at. It makes it yeah, difficult. there's a lot of like just names that are out there that are just guys. I don't know. I I don't know. I. I There's no Sean Dollars or anything. Like, Sean Dollars was a guy to say you could split out. I mean, Stephen Carr before that, obviously. Sean's got great hands. He was a great receiver. Speed-wise, I wonder if you could get much out of him as a receiver. Um, Yeah, I don't know if there's a ton of guys that are real interchangeable like that. Um, It would really really be, for me, more a little vice versa of trying to find those receivers that might have enough size that you can actually put at running back. Because in this class, I'm just not seeing a ton of those type of game changer type running backs that you can bring in that are going to be that it, that would fit the system. And, and again, do you even need that? This might be more of an offense where Mike Jinks is fine with utility and just getting guys. I mean, you got Keenan Christian coming in now, and he's running ten three three in the hundred meters. I'm excited to see what that looks like in this offense. And I'm sure Mike Jinks is too. I mean, Mike Jinks is working with running backs now on the roster that he's never had before. A guy like Marquis Stepp or Vi, those are big running backs that they really don't have in that type. So of I have a question for you: If he has success with a Stephen Carr, who's a big, you know, because when he came on campus, he said, "Why, you know, I've never had guys this size." If yeah. he has success with those guys, Vi catching the ball in the backfield, Stephen Carr catching the ball in the backfield, does that change his recruiting? Does it shift the paradigm? Yeah, I, that's a good question because you know he's done more with less. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of what Dylan McCullough, we, we, we really liked 
what Dylan McCullough brought to the table because we'd seen what he'd done in Indiana and he'd find guys. And it's like, oh, he offered a three-star guy from Indiana. So he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. He's got three guys in the NFL that nobody recruited and he did it at Indiana in that offense. So Mike Jake sort of has a little bit of that. He has a little bit of credibility built up where, you know, he's done it in an offense which you know, they didn't get great players. So when you see them going after a guy hard like Ty Jordan from Mesquite, Texas, who's a three-star guy and not necessarily highly recruited, you go, okay, but that's a guy that he's done it with in the past. So you're not worried about the three stars necessarily at running back. You're worried when you've got a coach that's really only had four-star, five-star guys, and now he's starting to get three-star guys, and you go, okay, he's just missing out on those four-star, five-star guys. Yeah, I just wonder if he has really – like Stephen Carr has a big year vibe. Those two combined have really big years. He goes, you know, now I'm at USC. I can change. Yeah. Maybe I go for the guy that's yeah. 6'1 or 6'2 and, you know, a little bit bulkier but can still do a couple of different things. You know, I'm, I'm curious to see how that works out. But, hey, those guys got to perform the, I mean, Dylan McCullough switched not because he would go after guys that the SEC was after, and he, tr- he tried like crazy to get them to come <laughs> to Indiana, but they were like, you're going to Indiana. He's like, now I can just – if I like the guy, I can bring him to USC because it's USC. So he changed the way he did things, but that was more of the, the size of the school, the prestige But he of the went school. after Step, and, and Step was committed at Notre Dame at mm-hmm. that point. But when he decommitted, Notre Dame was like, eh. And a lot of people said, oh, I mean, Step, yeah, he's got some talent, but is that a guy that USC needs to go all the way out to Indianapolis for? Right. And he's turned out. I mean, he's good. he hasn't done anything yet in the games, but – He's looking like he's a guy. Like yeah. it was a good scouting report, and that's that's the part of you know you've got evaluation as part of recruiting. You can have all the salesmanship all that you want and get five star guys, but you do have to scout. That's why I go back to Alabama with Trayshawn Holden, and they found a guy that shows you Alabama is not BS. They're not just you know looking up twenty four seven top twenty four seven to figure out okay who should we recruit. They're going after and finding guys that they like for specific reasons. Josh Jacobs is the the biggest example yeah. recent you know three star guy. No one. Really Really recruited him much, and he yep. becomes a first-round draft pick, yep. and he was amazing to watch last year. Uh, there was a question about why they recruited Chris Street. Chris Street was is supposed to be at one of these camps, so they want to see him in action. So yeah. I think that's a guy that if he comes to USC and does really well in elite camp, then maybe that's a guy they offer down the line. And kind of a prototypical combo back. He's got some size, he's got some speed, but he's not really fast, and he's not really big, and he's he's kind of sort of in the middle there, and that's where you go, okay, pro-style offense, you can use that. But in this type of offense, they want the guys that have more speed. That's, threats, so. I think that's why they got away from Jordan Wilmore. Jordan Wilmore was a guy that a lot of people liked, but he didn't really run fast. And we saw him at the camp at USC. He wasn't necessarily a fast guy. Neither was Sean Dollars. And Mike Jenks was, like, not getting into that. And, and with Kendon Milton talked about that. A lot of people asking, you know, where's USC with Kendall Milton? How are they going to lose Kendall Milton? You know, Kendall Milton said it himself. Who, who's, who's recruiting him? John Baxter. And Kerry Colbert. That's not – Mike Jenks is not in that conversation. Mm -hmm. That makes you think, okay, they're not on him as hard as maybe some other guys. So, you know, all those things, there's those little signs that you think that USC, they're looking for something specific right now at running back. All right. I think we should wrap it up, Keely. Yes. I have a couple more questions just to get in Uh, because people have been asking them. Uh, Switching topics a little bit, Chris Diaz on Facebook says, whatever happened to that Aussie punter, how has he been doing? He's amazing. Bowman. Very good. The key word is booming. Boom. His punts come off, and it sounds different. Should be fun yeah. to watch in the fall. Uh, I have a couple. Is it possible that Gabriel Floyd transfers back home and SC goes two for two against Horns Down? 
No. I, I mean, he's got to figure out what's going on with the spinal stenosis and, and, and go through that thing. process with the medical staff. And, if you know, is he going to stay at Texas? Is he going to maybe go away from Texas, come closer to home? There's a lot of questions about his recruitment, but I don't see him just, you know, jumping in in line with, you know, Brew McCoy and Chris Steele. The biggest thing is we hope he gets healthy. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Great kid. Definitely. Yeah. How does Chris Steele change the national team recruiting rankings? He doesn't. doesn't. He's a transfer. Yeah. Yep. Already. I think oh, that. last one with Chris Hawkins being a GA. Who on the current roster would be a good future coach? Ooh, Telenoa Hufunga. Oh, that's a good, oh, that's a good yep. call right off the bat. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, well, he'd actually be a good one of us. Like he'd be a better media person than probably any of us. Like, <laughs> uh, but I think he'd be a really good coach too. Yeah, uh, nice. And just real quick on the recruiting rankings, it's a transfer, but we did we plug it in. You can go to twenty four seven Sports and go to uh, you know, under football recruiting class calculator. You can manipulate the class if you add Brew McCoy and Chris Steele. USC goes up from number 20 to number 14. So uh, we put that in there, but it's not – the re- recruiting rankings won't change because they're both transfers. Yep. And, and the last one, just because Jared has asked this several times, the 150-year college football patch, is USC going to wear them this year? I, I haven't heard nothing of it. I don't know if you guys have. No idea. No. Okay. Sorry, Sorry Jared. Jared. We, don't, we haven't heard about that one. Dan yep. would be the guy. Send yeah, him Dan an will know. Send him an email. Or Dan podcast at uscfootball.com, and we'll read it on the there Dan Pod. Yeah. How about that? Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for Television. Thanks so much for you guys for watching. Thanks to Gerard for making the way all the way down thanks, from Redondo. To <laughs> Redondo. To Ryan, Redondo. To Redondo. I'm tired. Uh, thanks <laughs> for, to Ryan and Shotgun as well. You know where to find us, 6 p.m. on Wednesdays. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. See ya.